Amen. Thank you, Pastor Rip. Is God good? More than we know. Yeah, amen. Yeah, God is good. More than we know. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Tom and Jackie, for your great worship today. Amen? Amen. Yeah. I want to just give a little word of encouragement, a little testimony here. Um, I think we all remember Joshua, right? Our, our Indian pastor that we've been uh, supporting over the past few years. We've given Joshua a lot of support, uh, and he's used it well. Uh, he's built a church on top of their uh, home. He's got a nice church building there now, and it's just awesome. So anyway, um, he texts me quite often and uh, likes to FaceTime when, so whenever I can. So uh, yesterday morning, Saturday, he texted me again. And so I said, yeah, sure, call me. And so we're at home. So Chris and I had chatted with him for a few minutes. And so he was excited to, to see Chris again and talk. And we had a nice conversation. And as you know, we're raising money for him for his Christmas um, dinner that he does for this community. And uh, we've raised a little bit. And ra- thank you for your faithful giving. And, and we are putting that away and so forth. But the point here is this. This is how God works. Um, about a half an hour after we had our conversation, I got a text message from another person in our church that I'm not going to say the names, but just another person in our church that says, you know, um, Josh has been on my mind ever since we talked about him a, a last couple of weeks ago or whatever, it, whenever it was. And so I believe, therefore, I need to we need to give them a gift. So and uh, she said and she did it through PayPal because the last gift that you have is for Joshua. I just wanted you to know what it, that's what it is for. So I said, thank you for that. And then I went to look at PayPal and uh, Joshua needs about nine hundred and fifty dollars for his dinner. And uh, she gave us a thousand dollars. So isn't that amazing? So amen. Yeah, so we're gonna, we're gonna send Joshua over a thousand dollars and maybe a little bit more depending on what's come in. But, uh, it's gonna just bless him and bless the Hindu community that he's a part of because everything we give him, it doesn't stay in Joshua's home. It goes into the community, it goes into the, the Hindu community that they're in. And, um, so it's gonna be a great blessing for him. So I just, just wanted to show you the goodness of God and how he always works in the lives of his people. Isn't that good? Amen. So today, we're continuing our study on the book of Philippians, and um, it's interesting how God works different times in my life. But as I was beginning the study this week, my initial thought was, you know, we're not going to be sharing much more, much different than what we've been sharing already, and you know, it's... I'm not sure if the people are really going to be interested in what we're going to talk about this week. And, and, you know, I just kind of got depressed a little bit as I was studying. And then I realized something, and it wasn't me. I'm sure it was the Holy Spirit dropping on my mind. But he said, you know, sometimes we need to hear the same type of message over and over again because sometimes we forget it. Sometimes through the traumas of life, we forget the good news of what Jesus' messages really is, right? So we need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. We need to know who we are in Christ. And sometimes we forget our identity. And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the, in the battles of life. And clearly the enemy of our soul tells us lies all the time about who he wants us to think we are. But we need to remind ourselves who we really are. If Jesus Christ is in your life today, if you've made him your Savior and are in the process of making him your Lord then recognize who you are in Christ Jesus. You are not your own. 
And then when I started to look at what Paul was going to talk about in our text, it just blew my mind. Because the title of our message today is Live as Citizens of Heaven. Live as Citizens of Heaven. Now, where did I get that title? From our text. So I turn to our text, Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and in the New Living Translation, this is what Paul says. He says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then, whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit in one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of, a big word we don't like, suffering for Christ. We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Let's pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you for your word. Thank you for how you encourage us in your word. And now I pray you help us to to discern it wisely and to learn by the Spirit what you would have us to hear today. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I want to focus on today are three major areas about what it is that describes us as true disciples of Christ. Number one, our future is better than our past or our present circumstances. Remember that. Number two, there's a fight ahead. We're going to fight for this. And number three, trusting in Christ often, if not always, results in suffering for Christ. So three major things we want to talk about. Let's begin with our future being better than our past or our present. The text starts off here with a bang. I mean, Paul just comes right at it. And he says, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven. You must live as citizens of heaven. What a great reminder of who we are. And what our eternal destination is, first of all. We're citizens of heaven. As a true disciple of Christ, we're citizens of heaven. Do something with me. Say this out loud. We're citizens of heaven. Say it again. We're citizens of heaven. Say it again. We're citizens of heaven. What does it mean to be a citizen? What does it mean? Does everyone that claims to be a believer in Christ, do they automatically, are they automatically by default a citizen of heaven? Everyone that claims to be a believer in Christ? I know that sounds somewhat of a trick question, but we're going to work through this. Because it's not just what you claim you believe. There's a process of becoming a citizen. And it's not just those that would say, well, I'm a Christian. Does that make them a citizen of heaven? Well, we're going to find out today what that really means. So what does it mean to be a citizen? By definition, a citizen means to be a native or naturalized person 
who owes allegiance to a government and is entitled to protection from it. To be a citizen means that we are a native or naturalized person. What does that mean? That one is either a citizen of an earthly country by birth or through a legal process called immigration. Key word being legal. Process of immigration. See, both of these people, whether you're born into citizenship or gone through a legal process of of immigration, both people enjoy the rights of citizenship of that particular country. It means that they have the rights and protection of that country. That it becomes one of their identities, probably the major identity. Because, you know, if I'm an, if I live in the United States and if I'm a U.S. citizen, my identity says I'm an American. If I live in Brazil and am a citizen of Brazil, I'm a Brazilian. If I'm in Australia, I'm an Australian. We have an identity that comes with our citizenship. What's the difference between a person that's born into citizenship or one that immigrates into citizenship? What's the difference? Well, a person that immigrates and becomes a citizen through the legal process is that they have to go through a change of their identity from the country that they were born into and they take on the identity in the one that they're being assimilated or immigrated into. There's a change of identity here. They have to adopt the culture of the new country. They have to adopt the practices of the new country. They have to learn the language of the new country if, if that's required. They have to assimilate into the country of their adoption or their citizenship. And they become normalized and accepted by others in that same country as one of their own. They become productive members of that society. There's so many things that happen when a person becomes a legal citizen of a new country. Citizenship becomes their identity. That's a key word. We're going to come back to that over and over again today. The citizenship becomes their identity. And the problems come when people want to enjoy the benefits of citizenship of a new country without going through the change of identity of that new country. In other words, they don't want to go through the legal process of immigration. They want to find another way in. They don't want to go through the process. They don't want to adopt the country's culture and its practices. Actually, they like their old identity. They like their old identity and the desires that it produces. You see, they want to enjoy the benefits of the new country, because the new country obviously gives them more than what the old country has. Otherwise, why would they want to change countries, identities, citizenship? But they don't want to commit to becoming part of the country, and therefore they, they create pockets of their own cultures in their old identities into that new country. And what they're doing here is that they're holding their old country in a higher standard and a higher position with higher priorities than they are in the new country that they're immigrating into. They want the benefits, but they want, but they don't want to go through the process. They refuse to assimilate into the society. 
They refuse to learn a language and so forth. And, and we know the typical, typical problems that can create. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be proud of their heritage. I'm not saying that. But yet if a person is truly desiring to enjoy the benefits and the freedoms of a new country, they have to become loyal to that new country. And they need to be willing to surrender their rights and their identity to the new country. Yes, they can be proud of the old country. They can be proud of some of the heritage it brings. But they have to change alliances. Amen? So what do citizens do? What is, what do citizens do? Well, citizens do a lot of things. We pay taxes with representation. That's a good thing, by the way. Understand that taxes with representation is a good thing. Because we have to pay for the freedoms that we have. There's nothing wrong with paying taxes to the country that you're legally adopted into. Right? I'm not anti-tax. I'm anti-tax if there's no representation. But when I have representation and have the, the right to um, demand accountability for my tax dollars, that's a good thing. So they pay taxes. They have the privilege to vote for those that represent them in their government practices. That's an important thing. I hope we all vote. I, I hope there's no one in this church or any in this sphere of influence that doesn't take their responsibility and their right to vote seriously. And if you need help when it comes to election year, I'll help you vote right. <laughs> we can do that. Listen, I have the right to do that. I have the legal right to inform the people that I that that are come to this church as to my what my opinion of who I vote for. And so I will do that. A godly perspective of we will vote we will vote biblically and we will vote rightly. And if there's any questions, come see me afterwards. I'd be happy to talk to you about it. What else does a citizen do? They can hold a public office. You can be part of the, you can be part of the solution and not just be part of the problem. You can actually get in and get involved. That's a good thing. You can become part of that country's military. You can go to war. You can defend the country that you are a citizen of. It's a good thing. And for all those veterans here that have, thank you. For all those people that have served in our armed forces, thank you for doing that. We appreciate that. That's important to us because you've won our freedoms. We thank you for that. And there's many other areas of involvement. There's many advantages of being an active citizen in a country that one lives in. I think we can agree with that. Amen? So, how does this apply spiritually then to what Paul is talking about to the Philippian church? How does this apply? Well, our natural citizenship, I'm talking about our birth citizenship, our natural citizenship is that we are born as a citizen of the kingdom of this world. All of us are born into the citizenship of our flesh, of this world. And we have no choice in the matter. (laughs) I don't remember God asking me if I wanted to be born. Did God ask you? Anybody remember before you came out of the womb, did God come down and say, hey, do you really want to get out in that cruel world? I don't think so. We have no choice in the matter. 
We had no choice of who our parents were. We had no choice of what country we wanted to be born into. We had no choice who my brothers and sisters were. We had no choice about a lot of things when it came to our natural birth. But there are some things that we have a choice about. And I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes. So hold on to that thought. So let's talk about what is the condition of the world that we're born into? What is the condition of our world today? Well, we know that even though God created this world that we live in perfectly, God didn't make a mistake. The problems that we face in this world are not God's problem. He didn't do a good job making this world. He did a great job making this world. In fact, he did a perfect job making this world, and we screwed it up. Mankind screwed it up. God created this world perfectly. As we know, you go back to the Garden of Eden creation story, and God created a perfect environment for a perfect people to live in, which Adam and Eve were until sin entered through the temptation of the enemy, and we know that. And sin came in, and death came in, and as a result, all the problems of this world came from that point. So we know that. And Paul sees and describes this very well. And I think it's important that we understand that Satan has a legal role now into the rulership and ownership of the country that we're born into. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. He says, Satan, who is the God of this world, little g God, you see that? Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand the message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So what do we see here? First of all, that not only is Satan the God of this world, but he has also blinded the minds of the citizens of this world so that on their own accord, they cannot see the good news of the gospel. So people of this world are bound in discouragement and selfish ambition, thinking that through their own obsession of themselves, that we can create a better world, that we can create a utopia world, that we can, God, that we can create a world without God, that we don't need God. We can create a better world without God. Do you see that happening in, in world, some of these world religions today? Some of the New Age religions, how they are taking this and they're running with it and they're saying, I don't need God. I can make a better world without him. Yeah, you see that? But the reality is, no matter how good a person tries to be on their own, that we cannot earn the holiness that God requires because Satan blinds the people and all they can see is a version of godliness at a much lower level that God will approve of. We created our own version of religion. And on their own ability, they will, we, we, the people, will never be holy and pleasing to God as a citizen of earth. And here's the, here's the sad part about it, is that if we gain our hope and our inspiration as only citizens of this world, living under the rulership and the domain of Satan, then our future is sealed for destruction. And in reality then, there is no hope, there's no peace of any kind when we're limited to that. There's no hope. If we remain a citizen of this world, there's no hope. 
for that person. Do we see that? Can we agree with that? I mentioned earlier that there are some things that we don't have a choice over, but then there are some things that we do have a choice over. So what are those things? So even though you and I were given no choice in our birth, for the fact that we are created in the image of God, right, as we're told in Genesis, that God gives us choices that we can make after our birth, and we can choose to either improve or worsen our environment that we're born into. So we are given some choices. We can choose to accept or reject our roles and responsibilities as humans, good citizens. And we can choose to accept or reject, this is the most important choice, a personal relationship with the Creator God through Jesus Christ. We have those choices. This is one of the benefits of being created in the image of God in that we're granted the power to make moral choices that no other living creation can do. That is what it means when we're created in the image of God. That means that we have the choice, we have the power to choose to be in relationship with God even though that relationship was broken by sin. And that comes through the gospel. So what, what does this really mean then? This means that God gives us the opportunity to change our citizenship from an earthly citizenship to a heavenly citizenship. We have the choice to either remain a citizen of this world and being dominated by its worldly passions, or we have the choice to change identity. We have the choice to change citizenship. So how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because there's a well-defined process here that we go through. This immigration process of accepting the good news of Jesus, which is his life, death, and resurrection, that even though we're born into an earthly environment, an earthly citizenship, we can we have the power to change our citizenship and becoming a heaven, heavenly citizen, but it requires some things of us. It requires a firm commitment and a determination of our will to change your identity and then to live in it. And I'm going to tell you up front, it's not easy. It's not an easy choice to make. You need to know that. And I don't say that to discourage you. I say that to arm you for the battle that's ahead. See, our dreams and our goals and our ambitions are determined by the loyalty to where we focus our attention. Let me say that again. Our dreams, our goals, our ambitions are determined by where we place the loyalty of our attention. If we can determine to hold loosely to our earthly citizenship, we then can properly know what it means to have a heavenly citizenship. And I use the term loosely very, very intently because I can't cling to the things of this world if I am going to become a citizen of heaven. I have to lose, I have to hold these things loosely in my fingers, being willing to give them up. Because if I'm clinging to the things of this world, then there's no way I can properly go through the immigration process of being a citizen of heaven because I'm too tightly holding on to my identity here. Too tightly holding on to my passions, my desires, my pleasures here. 
author and Bible teacher K. Arthur gives a great definition of what it means to live as a citizen of heaven. And she says this, If you don't plan to live the Christian life totally committed to knowing your God and to walking in obedience to him, then don't begin. For this is what Christianity is all about. It is a change of citizenship, a change of governments, a change of allegiance. If you have no intention of letting Christ rule your life, then forget Christianity. It's not for you. Now, I know that's pretty direct and pretty bold. But it's the truth. You see, if you just want a casual relationship with Jesus, then you, then you haven't changed citizenship. If you just want to come in and sing a few songs on a Sunday morning and have a preacher tickle your itchy ears, you haven't changed your citizenship. You haven't changed your allegiance to who you're really faithful and loyal to. And I think Kay Arthur gives us good, a good um, advice. Then don't even begin because you're only going to be frustrated. You might as well not even start. If you're not willing to count the cost and be willing to give it all, then you haven't changed citizenship. You're just an illegal alien in the kingdom of God, and you will not receive the benefits thereof. Do you still like me? So, how do we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ? How do we do this? Well, this takes us to the second point. Number two, there's a fight ahead. Get ready for the fight. Philippians chapter 127, above, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the Lord. Good news about Christ. Then whether I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting each other for the faith. No, we're not fighting each other. We're fighting together. We're fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. How many times do we find churches fighting with each other? Instead of fighting together. You see, we're going to be in a fight, but it's not amongst ourselves. And too many times we lose that. We get upset over petty differences. We want to be right for the, for the, for, for just the, the goal of being right without really knowing what are we right over or for. But there's a power in unity that as a group of believers, that are living as citizens of heaven, there's a power when we come together that we are coming into agreement with one spirit, one faith, one purpose. And we're fighting together for the faith that we have in that faith that is unseen. We don't always see it. But that's a really important point of being a part of a local church, of being a part of a local body of believers that are Bible-believing believers. Because we need each other a lot more than what we realize. Do you know that? We really need each other. And why do I say that? Because one of the biggest battles that we fight as we face living above the set of this life is that we have a lot of setbacks that come our way. 
we have a lot of problems that come to us. And if I don't have a brother or sister that I can trust, a brother or sister that is fighting with me in this battle, then I'm going to be fighting the battle alone. And this is not a battle that we're equipped to fight alone. We need people, and we need each other. Life can be good, I know that. And we can really enjoy it. In fact, we can all think back to the good old days when life was at its best, where everybody who we loved was alive and healthy, that we were living in our prime health ourselves, our families were young, were together, our careers were going strong and well. And for the most part, life was just really good. The good old days. Remember those? How often do we find ourselves living in the good old days? But the reality of life is that we don't always live there. And we can't live there. Seasons of life come and go. Things are going to change. We're going to grow older. We're not going to be as strong as we used to be. We're going to have back aches and knee aches. We're going to have problems in our, in our health. We're going to lose people. People are going to die. They're going to move out of our lives. Our bodies are going to age. And so on and so on and so on. When these things, when these times come, it's very easy for us to lose that happy-go-lucky approach to life that we once had and we have to deal with the true issues of life's discouragements and depressions. Depression, discouragement is no respecter of persons. We all can be impacted by depression. Understand that. Nobody's above it. In fact, some of the greatest Bible teachers, the Smiths, Wiggleworths, and the people, they, if you read their stories, they struggled with depression and discouragement. Why is that? Because we're in a fight. Because we're in a fight. Because we're no longer citizens of this world. But yet we're living in a world that's dominated by sin. Therefore, we're going to fight in this world. Welcome to reality. <laughs> I just want you to know that it's okay. God knows your situation. And he knows what's going on in your life. And the reality of some of the fights that we're in is this. Listen, our situations may not improve physically or socially. And if I told you they were going to, I'd be lying to you. They may not improve but our life's ambitions and our life's motivations can change so that we can meet the challenges of what is bringing our setbacks and our discouragements. You see, and this is one of the benefits of being in a community of like-minded believers that are standing together with one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is in the good news. It's the unity of church and being connected with people that can and will come around you in your time of need, and that you can go around them in their time of need. The enemy will do everything he can to keep us separated. He'll do everything he can to keep us Isolated into our own little world of Christianity only to bring you struggles, depressions, discouragements that you're not designed to handle on your own. God puts us in relationship with people so that we can fight together for the faith. Did you hear me? 
that we can fight together for the faith. You're not intended to be doing this alone. We need each other. I need you. I need you. Fighting, the reality of this, and this is something we don't like to think about either, but fighting always results in some form of pain and suffering. When you fight for something, somebody's going to get hurt. (laughs) Somebody's going to get hurt. That's just the definition of a battle. There's going to be some pain, and there's going to be some suffering, and that brings us to point three. Trusting in Christ often, if not always, results in suffering for Christ. Trusting in Christ often always, often or always results in a suffering for Christ. Let's go back to our text to see what this means. Philippians chapter 1, verse 28 and through 30, it says, Paul says, Don't be intimidated in any way by your enemies. This will be a sign to them that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God himself. (laughs) Even by God. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Isn't that interesting? We're given the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also given the privilege of suffering for him. We are in the struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. You know, we mentioned earlier that one of the benefits of citizenship is that we are being protected by the, from the enemy of that particular country. As a citizen of the United States, I am protected by our government, by our country, of the enemies of our country. So I have a, I have a, a legal protection. Being a citizen of here, of, of the states, I'm protected by, by the physical enemies that would come against the United States. And here's an interesting concept as well. Being a heavenly citizen, when I transfer my citizenship from earthly citizenship to heavenly citizenship, I'm protected from the spiritual enemies. Citizenship comes with protection. And as a citizen of heaven, even though the enemy is roaming about seeking to destroy, we have protection from him through our citizenship with Christ. So what does that look like? Well, let's talk about that for a minute. Because we probably don't see ourselves fighting enemies, if you will, that we can identify physically. And I thank the Lord for that. But yet we have enemies that we don't see. We have enemies of our mind. This is big. Pay attention here, because this is really important. Our thought life can be a real enemy to us. If we don't take it captive, our thought life can be a real enemy for us. We can be intimidated in life by all sorts of unseen enemies that come with our inability to live above the circumstances of life. Our circumstances can can become an enemy to us. And that's what Satan does. Satan lives to intimidate Satan's goal is to intimidate you and to control you by a bad attitude or a wrong perception of who's in charge. Paul says that we are not to be intimidated in any way by your enemies. Do you see the strong language that he's using here? Don't be intimidated in any way 
by your enemy. I, I love this passage. What are some steps that we can take not to be intimidated by the enemy that plagues our thoughts and attitudes? There's some things we can do. When I have that thought process, when I see that circumstance getting bigger than God in my life, what do I do? How do I battle that? How do I take control of my thought life? Paul says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 5. Paul says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Sounds like warfare, doesn't it? It sounds like warfare, that we are in war. And here's the thing, as a citizen of heaven... We take up our own defense to defend ourselves and others that are in this citizenship with us. We have a responsibility. And even though God is greater than Satan and all of his demons, which he is, we still have to engage in the battle. Why do I say that? Well, let's read that scripture again, and let's look at all the we words. W-E words. We. Second Corinthians 10 Begin at verse 3 again. For we live in the world. We do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to, de- to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments with every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish every act of obedience. Do you see how many times the word we is used? What does that mean? It means that we are in the battle. The we is you. And the we is me. Here's the thing, guys. Listen. Victory is assured. Victory is assured. But we have to stay actively engaged in the battle. We would like to think that God's going to fight all our battles for us. But you know what? That doesn't happen that way. Yes, Christ forgives our sins and all that stuff. That's great. And that's how we come into the citizenship in the first place. But once we become a citizen, part of the responsibilities of a citizen is to fight the battles of that country. We are part of the battle. And what that means is that we will suffer for the privilege of being a citizen of heaven. I'm sorry to say that, but that's the truth. We will suffer. We will have the privilege of suffering. Philippians 1, 29 and 30. For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Wow. I know this isn't what we want to hear. We want to hear and think about how Jesus has already suffered for us. And he will continue to do the suffering for me. And the reality is, yes, Jesus did suffer for us. No question about that. But as we come into and be a part of a heavenly citizen... 
that it's going to require me and you, every person, to endure their own portion of suffering. And Paul calls that Paul calls that the privilege of suffering for Christ. Isn't that awesome? That Paul gives us the privilege of suffering for Christ? That we can be considered that God would consider us worthy to suffer with his son? Boy, there's, you know, I'll tell you, there is so much we could talk about, about suffering in a good way. But in the same vein, there are those that want to experience the benefits of heavenly citizenship without going through the legal process and fulfilling the responsibilities of what true citizenship is. They want the benefits, but they don't want to work for or be accountable. This is like the illegal alien that comes across our southern border. I'm not going to make this a political message, but it very well could be. They come in and they want the protection of our country. They come in and they want the education that our our country provides. They want all the social programs that our government provides, but they're not willing to go through the legal process. And this is just not constitutional in our country. But at the same time, listen, there is a spiritual connotation here because there are those that want the same benefits spiritually, but they're not willing to do it any more than the illegal alien is coming across the Mexican border spiritually. And just so you know, that's not biblical either. It's not constitutional to come in illegal, and it's not biblical to come in illegal. If you're going to be a citizen of Christ, a citizen of heaven, then you have to come through the legal process, and that's through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then you need to be willing to take up arms and fight for it. You need to be willing to step up and work out your salvation with fear and trembling is what the Bible says. Suffering in some form is always going to be part of being a true disciple of Christ. There's always going to be an element to it, so get ready for it. And don't be discouraged when it comes. Jesus said very clearly in Matthew chapter 7 that there is going to be, there's a path of easy life that leads to destruction, and there's a path of hard life that lives to eternal life. He says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. He says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. What does that mean? What does that mean? For the gate is wide and easy, that leads to destruction. And many are on that road. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard. Hard means you're going to fight. Hard means you're going to have to commit to it. Hard means you're going to have a determination of your will to stay on it. And that path leads to eternal life. But Jesus says only a few find it. Many find the easy path, 
Only a few find and stay on the hard path. Why is that, do you think? Because many people that are on the road to destruction on the wide path are illegal citizens. They have not truly made a transfer of their citizenship. They're not living as a citizenship of heaven. They were not committed to it from the very beginning, and they're not going to stay committed to it when the, the, when the time gets hard. Listen, guys, times are going to get hard. If they're not hard already for you, they will be. And you need to be committed right now in the good times to stay the course when the bad times come that you're not going to get knocked off the, the narrow road. Amen? This is not a hard word. I'm not, I, I, I'm not being a bully pulpit here, and I'm not criticizing anyone in this church. I'm just telling us the truth so that we're prepared for it. That we're ready when the hard times come, when the times of discouragement come, when the times of depression come. Recognize who you are in Christ. Recognize who you are, what citizenship you belong to, and stand strong, and then stand and let the Lord fight for you as you're willing to fight with Him. That's a good word, guys. Nothing wrong with this word. Jackie, would you come, please? So what's the takeaway here? What, what, are, we, what are we trying to get out of this rather, rather difficult message? What I really want to encourage you with is don't become discouraged when life becomes hard. Don't become discouraged when life becomes hard. But rather, see it as an opportunity as Paul says, as a privilege to suffer for Christ. And in your suffering, maintain a good attitude so that when people around you see you suffering for Christ, they see a smile on your face, not a woe is me, pity attitude. Because that doesn't bring glory to Christ. What brings glory to Christ is when you go through a hard time and you can fight for it and you can smile in the fight. And I, I wish I could change things for you. I, I wish I could make things good again, but I can't. I don't have the power to do that. All I can do is I can encourage you to trust in a God that has a bigger plan for your life and encourage you to stand the test of what it means to trust in Jesus. Trust in Jesus. Because here's the reality. If we're faithful and trusting in Jesus, he will be faithful in giving us the benefits of what it means to suffer for him. That's the mindset of living as a citizen of heaven. It may not change your circumstances or even reduce your suffering in a moment, but it can give you a hope and a promise that will give joy and anticipation of the greater things ahead. Amen? When I can get out of this mindset of earthly living and truly see what God has in store for me in heaven, this makes these minor temporary problems worth the, worth the battle, as Paul says. These light and momentary troubles. I want to end this morning by, by reading a prayer to you that Paul that David wrote in Psalm 37. Because this will help us to get our, keep our mindset right and keep it down the right path. David says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. What does this mean? 
Think about this. To dwell in the land is another way of saying become a citizenship of that land. To dwell in the land means I'm becoming a citizen of that land. To dwell in the presence of the Lord means that I'm becoming a citizen of the presence of the Lord. I'm, that's, my, that's where I want to be. That's where I want to spend my time. That's where I want to gain my resource from. To dwell in the land to, is to become a citizen of that land. And then he says to delight in the Lord means that we move from a I have to attitude to I get to attitude. So we started off with in our worship time today. Listen, guys, if we're living in a world of have-tos, a legalistic mindset of I have to do this and I can't do this, then you're truly not a citizen of heaven. Put away the have-tos and start thinking about to get tos. I have the privilege of tos. I desire to. Man. If we can get to that point, life will take a whole new meaning for us. Close your eyes with me, if you will. Just close your eyes. And just let this sink in, what I'm going to say next. What this means is that you find your greatest joy, your greatest pleasure, your greatest satisfaction in your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That you want to live a life pleasing Him, pleasing obedience, rather than a life of feeling like you have to obey. It becomes a joy and a privilege to lay down your life before Him. See, when you get to this point, your heart's desires begin to change from the worldly desire to a heavenly desire. That desire comes from God. And he places the right kinds of desires in your heart that he is then thrilled to fulfill. Because you're going down the right path together. That is what it means to live as a citizenship of heaven. That's one of the greatest benefits of having a true change of identity. That I don't just put on Christianity. No, I become Christianity. It becomes who I am. It becomes who I am. Yeah, I fight for it. I struggle in it some days. But I ask Jesus to forgive me. And he's faithful in that. And he comes around me and he says, yes, you're my son. I'm proud of you. I'm there to support you. I'm there to fight with you. Let's pray. Father, I just come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, I just thank you for your promises of your word. I thank you, Lord, how it strengthens me and how it encourages me. And Lord, I want to become a citizen of heaven more than ever. This morning, if that's your desire, 
And if you're not quite there, it's a time of commitment today to say, yes, dear Jesus, transfer my citizenship from this world to the one of heaven, that I can have that relationship with you. And I can have that identity change. And then when people look at me, they don't look at me as a citizen of this world anymore. They look at me as a citizen of heaven because they see a change in my heart and my life. Amen. Amen. Listen, if you need someone to help you pray about this, please don't be hesitant. I would love to pray with you. Pastor Rip would love to pray with you. There's many in this church that would love to pray with you. And we want to help you in that process. Remember, we need each other. I need you. You need me. And you need the person sitting next to you. That's how citizens live. We live to help others in their time of need. Amen. 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 Stand with me, if you will. Let's sing the song that Jackie and Tom are playing. want to give you the opportunity for those that are here today that need more I want to give you the opportunity to come up and let us pray with you sometimes we read dismiss too quickly I don't want to I want to dwell here in a moment I want to pray with someone I feel there's people need to be prayed for this morning Pastor Rip would love to come up and be with me and pray with you as well but if you need more this morning we're going to sing the song again and if you need help come up and let us pray with you Pastor come up with me would brother sing the song. Come on up. And if you need prayer, if you need more, this is an opportunity to receive.
And Father, we just love you today. We thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you're continuing to do for us. We give you the authority, Jesus, to work in our lives, to work in us, God, through this week as we go. That's part of the benefit of being a citizen, is that it it goes out of this building. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed today. Be blessed.